uh, I, I have so much thoughts going around in my head right now, but, but I, I'm just glad I have some notes to keep me tame. Um, I, I told JP, am I really going to preach five pages of, of, of sermon notes? I don't think I'm going to preach five pages of sermon notes. Uh, but I really want to get uh, to two main points that I'm hoping that we're able to draw from this brief exhortation on this morning. Uh, we're, we're, I'm mindful that we're pretty cozy inside here, but we have some brothers and, frankly, some sisters who are outside trying to keep us safe, and it's really cold. So I want to do some due diligence uh, in sharing a brief thought with us that we could take on today and help us during the course of this week. As we think about the birth narrative of Jesus, it's interesting when you compare and contrast the gospel accounts. If you look in Mark's account, Mark just kind of goes past any narrative to begin with. And all John indicates is the word became flesh and dwelled among us. So Mark and John don't really spend any if any time at all, if you think about it, really developing or, or pressing on the, the birth narrative of Jesus Christ. However, Matthew and Luke are, are very detailed in, in what they share concerning this time in Jesus's life when he came into this earth. But as you compare and contrast Matthew and Luke, you would recognize that there are glaring differences in their approach. And, and that is because both Matthew and Luke have agendas. They have particular agendas in mind because they have to share a word to a particular audience that they have in mind. Matthew, if we recall, is writing to a very Jewish crowd, a Jewish audience, and so the thrust and focus of his narrative comes from the, gene the genealogy of Abraham and David. And so Matthew is concerned with showcasing Jesus as the promised Messiah, Jesus as the promised king. He, he is concerned with helping those who were under the law to recognize that Jesus was and is in fact the fulfillment of that law. So, so Matthew is pointed in his approach. He, he is pointed in the things that he shares. It really comes from a Jewish background. You, you have to spend time understanding the Jewish background history and antiquity. You have to understand the Jewish culture, customs, and traditions to really get at the heart of Matthew's gospel account. But Luke takes a different approach. For Luke's approach, he, he wants to spend some time showcasing Jesus, yes, as the promised Messiah. But unlike Matthew that is pointed towards the Jews, Luke has a, an audience that is Gentile in nature and Gentile at heart. And so Luke is, 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 is concerned with showcasing Jesus as the Savior to all of mankind, not just the Jew, but for the Gentiles as well. That, that should give us reason to say thank you, Jesus, because unless I, I, I check, all of us here would have been accounted as Gentiles. We, we didn't come from the same type of lineage that, that many of the Jews came from. We were from Gentile nations, but, but Jesus, thank God, is a savior, not just to the Jews, but he is also to the Gentiles as well. 
So Luke is concerned with showcasing Jesus as the Messiah of all mankind, not favoring only men. Luke is, is well known for the fact that in his gospel account, he would showcase Jesus spending time with uh, those who were marginalized. He, he, he would showcase Jesus spending time and utilizing women in his ministry. He would showcase Jesus going to those individuals in the highways and the byways. Luke is very careful and detailed in showcasing Jesus as the Savior to all the world. I want us to know that Luke is not concerned in his writing. I, I, I know it's Christmas time, but I, I need for us to understand that Luke is not concerned about developing a theology for Christmas. Luke is concerned about showcasing the theology of Christ. And so it's great for us to be able to recognize the birth of Christ, but Ultimately, Luke is not so much concerned about necessarily us creating a holiday or creating a time to, to, to spend looking at the baby in the trough, but he wants us to understand that in order for us to, to have the victory, in order for Jesus to have gone to the cross, it's, it's necessary for us to see Jesus come into the world in, in a certain form and in a certain way. Jesus, when he was born into this earth, Luke records that the reason why they were in the, the, the stable was because there was no room in the inn. And I want to spend a little time there, but not only did they find themselves in, uh, in, in this stable, but Luke is also careful in recording that, that he was laid as a baby in swaddling clothes and in a manger. That, that manger is better understood as a feeding trough for the animals. So the King of Kings, the, the Lord of Lords, it's, it's a pre-picture of, of the, 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 the very atmosphere that, 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 that God is coming into the world. And the world, if we're honest, oftentimes doesn't have room for Jesus. Jesus makes room anyway. Many a times, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, people don't want to make room for God, but God will make room to come into this world anyway. You, you just have to look and see how we structure our days and our weeks and our months to recognize that oftentimes Jesus gets the, the manger. Oftentimes Jesus gets the stable. We don't give him the, the master bedroom. We don't give him the good bathroom. We oftentimes as human beings give him the dregs. But I need for us to see how powerful this imagery is. I need for us to see how powerful this birth narrative is because even as a baby, God is showcasing this, this savior of the world coming into nothing but coming to give us everything. It's funny that Luke records that there was no room in the inn. It wasn't like today where they had a bunch of hotels just set up in all these, these different towns and villages. That was not it. You might have had a designated place uh, that, that, that you could have gone to and you could have paid money to spend time overnight. But in Jewish antiquity, in their day and their age, every single house became an inn. What do you mean, Brother Morgan? Well, as a, a journey, as somebody that was traveling from place to place, the Israelites were supposed to be so accustomed to hospitality that if a stranger came to their door and knocked on the door, they were supposed to have the gumption and the ability and the heart necessary to open their homes to receive said strangers. 
So even if there was no room in the designated place that they could, they could have spent money to, to go and spend the night, the truth is, I want us to understand that even though there was no room in the inn, the truth is, there being no room in the inn was an indication that nobody opened up their homes to, to Joseph, Mary, and now baby Jesus. So Joseph, as the father, Joseph as the husband, Joseph as the caregiver, he has to find room to take care of his newborn son. And so he finds a stable. And there, when he finds the stable, he also finds this feeding trough. Church, I want us to see that the goal, the ultimate goal of God is to have us with him in glory for eternity. I love the fact that the Hebrew writer would put it this way, for it became him by whom are all things and, and through whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. God is obsessed with bringing us human beings mortal beings, to, to be recipients of eternal life with him where he is. But I need for us to appreciate that in order for us to have a relationship with God, in order for us to experience eternal life, he had to send his son Jesus because it's only through his son do we have the opportunity to have a relationship with God the Father. So before we could get to the throne room, we we have to first be willing to submit to the trough. Did you notice that when the wise men, the Magi, came to Jesus, this is Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2, do you recognize and do you realize that when the wise men came to Jesus and they found the baby, they, 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 they had the wherewithal to recognize that they were in the presence of greatness and being adults, being full-blown men, they bowed themselves to baby Jesus and they worshipped Jesus. When the shepherds came on the scene and they saw Jesus, yes, he is a baby, yes, he is in a trough, he, he couldn't control his own bowel movements at this time, but what do the shepherds do? They bow themselves in total submission and worship to Jesus. If you couldn't bow to Jesus as a baby, do you think you will bow to him eventually on the throne? And so they showcase full submission in bowing themselves to Jesus at his birth, knowing full well that he was the Messiah and Savior of all mankind. But I want for us to see this. If we recognize that the ultimate goal that God has for all of us is to bring all of us into glory, then please recognize that well that God's vision for us is that we are where he is and he is always where we are. So therefore his purpose has always been wrapped up and connected to his promises. Repeat that one more time. God's purpose is wrapped up and has always been connected to his promises. So Jesus coming into this earth, coming on this earth, into this world, becomes a personification of God's promise. He promised that he was going to send the Savior. 
He promised that he was going to forgive sin. He promised that he was going to bring all of mankind into relationship with him. He, he promised that he was going to bind Satan. He, he promised that he was going to hit Satan a blow. He, he promised that he was going to showcase his love for both you and me. Well, well in, in, in order for us to see God's purpose, we have to see the fulfillment of his promises. God's promises are prophetic. God's promises are powerful, but also God's promises are precious. Stay with me, I'm almost done. I want us to think about these two things within the confines of the birth narrative and recognize the, the, the precious nature of God's promises. As we think of the birth narrative, I want us to see two things and the message would be ours. Number one, because of how precious God's promise or promises are, notice God makes every effort to prepare the promise. If you bake or you cook, you understand that some of the, the, best, the best foods and the best cakes, the best uh, meals you could, make, you could ever make takes a certain level of time for preparation. If, if, if you like, I, I, I don't know, brisket, you understand that the best brisket takes the most amount of preparation. You can't have a good, soft, juicy, well-cooked, smoked brisket by simply trying to prepare it for an hour. No, no, no. If, if you really want to put your foot into that brisket, figuratively speaking, of course, if you really want to do your best and, and make the best possible brisket possible, you, you, you take your time with that meat. There are some dishes back home in the Caribbean. You, you have to take your time. It's a four-day type approach to making certain meals back home in the Caribbean. And if you try to, 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 to hasten those four days, that, that food will not taste as good. When you have special honored guests come into your home, you, you don't just want to whip something up, and you can, but if it's special honored guests, you want to take your time. In other words, your preparation shows just how important the people are to you. It's no different when you think about Jesus here within the confines of God's plan. God is showing that I'm taking time to prepare Jesus to come into this world. I told Steve on, on Wednesday that he preached pretty much most of my sermon because in Luke chapter number one, the entire narrative of Luke chapter number one is God preparing uh, to bring Jesus into the world. Notice what happens in Luke chapter number one. He prepares Zacharias and Elizabeth. Then he goes on to prepare Mary, uh, a young virgin girl who had known no man just as yet. He goes on according to Matthew's account. He has to prepare Joseph. And you remember in, in, in Matthew's account, Joseph was ready to put her away privately. But God had to tell Joseph, no, 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 Joseph. This, this thing is of God. This thing is of the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and take her on to you for a wife. God had to prepare Joseph. God had to prepare John who would become the Baptist. God even had to prepare Jesus in coming into this world. He goes on in Luke's account to, to showcase he had to prepare 
the shepherds. And in Matthew's account, he had to prepare the wise men or the magi. Ultimately, John would start to prepare the people, the Jews, for the coming of the Messiah. But ultimately, God is still preparing the entire world today through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God takes his time in preparing because the promise showcases his purpose. I need to prepare properly because if I don't prepare properly, chances are that I could, I could, my plans could falter. So even God, the great God, had to prepare properly. When I was growing up, my teachers used to have me repeat this statement over and over and over and over again. It, it's a bunch of P words that, that they threw together uh, that when something like this, proper planning prevents poor performance. And that's just to indicate the value of preparation. All young men and young women that, that are in school understand you, you can't go to school for the entire semester and, and not study and then come on, come on Sunday morning before Monday's exam and ask the prayer of the church, could you pray for me that I could get an A on my exam? It doesn't work that way. I don't care if you believe that people could lay hands on you today and impart the Holy Ghost anymore. I'm telling you, if you didn't prepare properly, prepare to see an F on that test. Because proper planning prevents poor performance. When the time was right, after centuries and generations, when the time was right, God prepared the world enough at the point where he was willing now to send Jesus into the world. If God takes time to prepare, we need time as well to prepare. But not only do we see God's preparation in the text, but number two, I want us to see that because of how precious God's promise is, God made every effort to protect and to guard the promise. You recall in Matthew chapter number two, Herod, when he heard about this, 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 this child that was to be born, this, this child that would be king, Herod had in his heart that he was going to kill the child. And so he, he kind of coerced the, the Magi at the time. They didn't know. God had to warn them. But he kind of coerced the Magi at, at this point. He said, well, listen, you guys go and inquire diligently. And when you find the child, come back and let me know. But God has to warn the Magi to, to go a different way. Don't go back to, to Herod. You go a different way to your own home because God knew that Herod's whole purpose was to take that child and to kill it. So all along the way, God was, was protecting Jesus. And he would utilize Joseph to do it. I know oftentimes during Christmas time, we, we spend a lot of time looking at Mary, the young virgin bird, and there's a lot to be said about Mary. I know we spend a lot of time looking at Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. We might even spend a lot of time talking about John being the forerunner before Jesus, but oftentimes we don't spend enough time looking at the part and the role that Joseph had to play. Joseph was a carpenter, and even though it's translated carpenter, he was more than a carpenter. Joseph was a hard-working, diligent man. 
The word carpenter or, or, or the word for carpenter in the Greek doesn't only translate a one who, who worked along with wood, but he also worked with stone and he worked with metal. He, he would be the one that would, would afford every, every single person and every single household to have tools and, and he would be the one to build chairs and to build homes, to lay foundations. He would be the one to repair the cisterns. He would be the one to build the community from the ground up. This was the earthly father that God entrusted his heavenly son to. But apart from teaching him the ways of what it means to be a man, apart from teaching him how to work hard and how to be disciplined, Joseph had to protect Jesus, young baby Jesus, from the dangers of the world. And I need for us to understand something, church, that oftentimes if we're not careful, we, 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 we don't recognize that the devil is still very much trying to kill the promise that God has birthed in our lives. But we need to protect the promise that God has birthed in us with every fiber of our being. There are so many individuals who started the race but did not complete. There are so many individuals who said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, but their faith isn't strong. There are so many individuals who confess that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. And as soon as some Herods come into their lives, as soon as some problems come into their lives, they are ready to give up and they are ready to throw it away. But God not only uh, prepares the promise, he also protects it. And we need not only prepare the promise that God has given to us, but we also need to protect it like our lives depend on it because our spiritual lives do. Could I share some of this with you as we close? Here, here are some promises that, that God still makes in the world today. In John chapter number 12 and verse number 48, Jesus would utter these words, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. I'm telling you, we need to give our lives to Jesus. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 and 16, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. I'm telling you, the world still very much needs Jesus. How about Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Check it and lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. I'm telling you, God's promises show forth his purpose. Here is this last one, and you know this all too well in John chapter 14, verses 1 and following. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you would be also. God didn't just want his disciples and his servants to bow to Jesus only at his birth. He desired of them to bow to Jesus every single day thereafter of their lives.
God didn't want his people only on the 25th of, of December every single year to have a special inclination towards Jesus. God doesn't desire on Easter Sunday for us to have a, a, some more special inclination towards Jesus. He says, listen, if you understand that Jesus came into this earth, you understand that he lived on this earth, you understand that he taught while he was on this earth, you understand that he died on the cross, you understand that he ascended into heaven, and you understand that he will return again I need for you to believe in him not just in his birth but also in his life not just in his life but also in his death not also in his death but also in his ascension and his return so this Sunday ought not to be any different from last week's Sunday and next week's Sunday we ought to have the same type of vim and vigor that we have now uh, for, for this Sunday it's fortunate that that Christmas fell on a Sunday they said it won't happen again for the next 11 years. But until then, here's what we need to be doing. Every single Sunday needs to be Christmas. And every single Sunday needs to be Easter. Every single week needs to be the holiday season. You don't just have to wait for the, 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 the spirit of giving around Christmas. I've, I've been hearing people on the radio begging people to, to help people in, in, in the groceries and at Walmart. If you see somebody and they're backing out, let, give them some time to back out. Don't just, don't just take off. If you see somebody that needs help with their groceries and they're struggling, help. You don't just have to wait until Christmas time for that. But if we understand that we need to be praising God and worshiping God and serving God and loving God every single minute of every single day, this is just like a walk in the park for us. We've been blessed because we could decorate and it's great for us to decorate. We could buy gifts and it's great for us to buy gifts. But we need to be, we need to be appreciative of the fact that while we buy gifts ever so often, the greatest gift that heaven had was offered for us. So here he is in a trough. I'm done. Here he is in a manger. Let me show you the, the pre-picture of this. There is nothing about Jesus' life and ministry that didn't have great significance. Nothing. Nothing about him being in a stable was simply him being born in a stable. Nothing about him being in a feeding trough was simply, well, it didn't have a, a, a good enough bed, so they found the best thing that they could use, which was a trough. But I need for us to understand the great value and the symbolism of what's taking place even while this baby Jesus is in the feeding trough. You remember in John, in John chapter number 6, Jesus had just fed a multitude, five loaves and two fish. You remember that? Then he turns to the multitude and he says to the multitude, listen, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. In other words, you need to feed on me. Some of them, many of them understood that he was talking about cannibalism. He wasn't talking about cannibalism. He was, he was talking along philosophical lines. He, he was talking with something of a different and a deeper meaning. He was saying, listen, you need to feast on me and feast on my word. The same way that bread and water is life to you. The same way that I am and my word is supposed to be life to you. So when you look at Jesus in a feeding trough, the angels had to go out and get the shepherds because they didn't know what was going on. 
And many people in the world don't know what's going on. We become the angels to, to a lost and dying world. Jesus has already come into the earth. His gospel is there to be preached. And God sends his angels. God sends his messengers. God sends the church out into the cold, out into the dark, to people who don't know Jesus as yet. And it's our job to take the gospel and to tell those out in the world, come and see the Savior. But watch this. When the shepherds come into the manger, they come into the manger seeing a baby in a feeding trough. It's symbolic that when you come into the presence of Jesus, you have to understand that Jesus is the only thing that sustains you and gives you and me life. Stop eating what Facebook gives you. Stop eating what social media gives you. Stop eating what the world is giving you. Stop eating what traditionalism has fed us. Stop eating what the devil has been feeding us. No, 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 no. The food is right there. We just need to step into the stable and feast on the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the truth and the love of Jesus. Because if you would bow to that, one day you will be blessed to go from the place of the manger to having the beauty of the mansion. You guys see it? You will go from a place of the trough to ultimately where God wants us to be in the throne room. Church, let's all stand as together. We sing our song of encouragement. And let's appreciate the symbolic nature of a day like today. Let's understand that in order for Jesus to have been fully man, he had to be born into this world. It was God's plan for him to go to the cross, but in order for him to really be the propitiation, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, he had to come as a, re a representative, not just of heaven, but as a true representative of mankind. So every stage that you and I had to go through from conception to gray hair. Jesus had to go through the same. And so though we celebrate the fact he went to the cross, understand that he went to the cross really because he was born into this world. So today is significant. And I want us to be honest with what today is. This is not something that we find in scripture that we ought to celebrate, but if the world celebrates it, we could find an understanding and a reason that, listen, scripture dictates and helps us to understand Jesus was born into this world. Don't fight it when you hear people say that this is not a biblical holiday. That's true. It was man-made. Don't fight that. When Christians, when you hear people, oh, it's, uh, yes, I understand what you're saying, but he was born. Yes, I understand what you're saying. Santa Claus has nothing to do with Jesus' But Yes, 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 I understand that. But I, I, I could deal with Santa Claus anyway. That's, that's fine by me. But please understand that your devotion to Christ shouldn't stop at the manger. There should be a devotion throughout all the stages of his life. The baby went on to become a boy. The boy went on to become a man. The man went on to become the lamb that was slain. The lamb, we understand, was and is the lion. 
I'm just trying to help us to understand that the same Savior is going to come back one day as the judge. I'm just trying to help us to see that the same one who has rejected ultimately will be the one rejecting. I'm just trying to help us to see that we need to give our love, trust, and everything that we have to Jesus Christ, for he is the Savior of all of us. Repeat after me and we'll be done. God's purpose is rooted in his promises.